The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. And a happy Monday to you folks. Welcome to April Fool's Day. We're not going to get too much into the jokes today. I'm sure your day has been tapped out with April Fool's jokes by now. Probably my favorite day of the year, but jokesters like me, you know, we don't get too many. We get Halloween. And we get uh, April Fool's Day, and then that's really about it. Everything else, we're just a big, giant idiot. So we'll take it. All right, whatever works for us here on April Fool's Day. Folks, welcome to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. You never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where we embrace different types of communication, thus the word multimedia. Now, sometimes we do our interviews over the phone. Sometimes they're face-to-face. My goodness, face-to-face, who would have thunk that exists in 2019? 2019, people are still getting together and having coffee, for crying out loud. Well, we do that at the Multimedia Cafe, but we understand people are busy, so we might Skype them or, like I said, even call them on their personal handheld computer that they use as a telephone. We like to do all kinds of different ways of communication here at the Multimedia Cafe. Because you know what I learned, folks? Not only did I learn that this weekend again for about the 15th time, but I've learned it over the years. There is a lot of ways for women to not pay attention to you. They can ignore you on Facebook. They can ignore you on Skype. They can ignore you on FaceTime. They can ignore you on LinkedIn. They can ignore you on Twitter. They can ignore you when you stop by. They can ignore you. I mean, for crying out loud, if a girl if, if a girl doesn't want to talk to you, she can really prove her point. So just thought I'd pass along that piece of wisdom for you on this April Fool's Day. All right, who do we got on today's program? Let's take a look here. Let's see our special guest and topics menu. April 1st, it's a Monday. Darren Gullahan with Petroleum Consultants gives an update on the oil and gas industry in Montana. Hey, Montana action. Eastern side of the state gives an overview of some projects they're working on in the Dakotas and Wyoming, as well as checking down in the Eagleford and the Permian. Speaking of that, David Spence, he talks about some of the big jobs happening down there, the hotel prices, you got $300 a night Ramadas, all kinds of stuff going on down there in the uh, Texas, basically the Permian Basin, but uh, the Eagleford has some activity as well, but we're going to talk about the Permian after we Go from Montana to Wyoming, then down to the Permian, down to Texas. Now we're going to hop over to Colorado and talk with District Manager of Boss Solutions, Jared Whip, as he talks about the technology behind the liquids and solids separators. Kind of like a, I guess, separating an egg, but, you know, out in the workplace. So it'll be kind of cool. Jared Whip with Boss Solutions, David Spence, the University of Texas at Austin, and Darren Gullahan with petroleum consultants all on today's program well we're going to take a quick break we come back we're going to continue our program here on this april 1st april fool's day jokers enjoy your day this is the multimedia cafe my name is jason spies thank you folks very much for choosing us as part of your content 
take a quick break, like I said, and I see the clock in three, two. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. First full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation here at the Multimedia Cafe. Coming up next, we talk with Jared Whip with Boss Solutions. State your name and uh, company title for a mic level check. Jared Whip, Boss Solutions, uh, District Manager. All right, let's start off by uh, describing what it is Boss Solution does. Uh, we're a liquids and solid separation company. We're environmentally friendly. Uh, our system is designed uh, for closed loop uh, water recovery um, to minimize the impact of the environment. Uh, at the end of the day, my, my team and myself, we're local to the community, and we want to have a, a small impact from the environmental side. So uh, we do liquids and solid separation, as I stated. So we're on the active uh, big rigs as well, um, anywhere from municipalities to uh, drilling rigs to uh, offshore rigs. So. Um, we are local to the Mandan community here. We uh, relocate employees into the community. We give back to the to the citizens and in the area here as well. Um, that's about what Boss Solutions has to offer to the uh, industry. So a question I like to ask some people because the oil and gas industry is pretty diverse uh, and also it's pretty specific. Who is your exact customer? Uh, so currently in North Dakota, we have uh, 32% uh, market share, and our biggest customers are your Marathons, your ConocoPhillips, uh, Whiting, Sloth, and Lime Rock, Rim Rock. Uh, so the, the operators themselves are our direct uh, customers. Okay, great. And then talk to me a little bit about the technology behind this. You know, when we start talking about some of the solutions, of course, I start thinking of proprietary solution products. I, I think of that innovation. I don't know if it's gone into other areas or not, but talk to me about some of the technology and innovation within your part of the oil and gas industry. That's a great question. Uh, so currently we're faced with uh, new new uh, operators in the industry that are drilling five, six, eight wells. You're, you're stuffing the same amount of volume into this uh, equipment in, in a lot less days. For an example, we just did a 5.3-day five, 5. well with one of our customers. Our equipment was able to keep up with the technology that we're, we're trying to stay ahead of the game. So uh, we do have some pri- pri- uh, proprietary information out there uh, for ourselves to protect us from customer, uh, competitors as well, obviously. But um, obviously we're doing a, a decent job with that to be able to keep up with as fast as uh, these drilling rigs are drilling. Uh, so we're a huge part of the success of the operators in the Bakken. I know you mentioned something about the uh, separation of the... the different uh, hydrocarbons at the end of the day, I guess is what it would be. Uh, I see clean, reusable water on one of your marketing signs here. I wanted to ask you about the recycling of water and just the use of water overall. That is, uh, that comes back and forth as a topic of, uh, you know, when it comes to oil and gas development. 
That's another great question. So with our equipment, you're able to, again, recycle the fluid, whereas in the past you'd have to dispose of it, which means more trucks on the road, more environmental hazard risk uh, on the roads here in the Bakken. So our, our system has the capability of keep recycling, reusing the same fluid. You know, for an example, in the lateral sections here in North Dakota, we have customers that reuse the same fluid four, five, six different pads at a time. So that's a huge advantage at the end of the day for the operators, for the citizens of North Dakota, for the environment. Uh, it's a win for everyone. So, All right, now talk to me a little bit about um I don't know if EPA is the right word or some of the state regulators. Sometimes the companies, that's all they deal with. And then sometimes they never see them. So uh, do you guys have any sort of back and forth relationship with them? Or are you kind of like you're there so they never see them? Yeah, so... Uh, Boss Solutions, our, our capabilities we offer our customers, we actually, we don't see them very often. It's something that, you know, the state comes onto the rigs themselves and make sure that everybody's in compliance. So it, it's something where our technology, it's, for lack of better terms, they, they leave us alone because we have that advantage over our competitors. So Sounds like a nice trusted company. So, okay. Uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, what your guys' next steps are. I mean, are you guys, you said uh, 33 per, 32% of the Bakken. You know, there's a DJ and there's a Permian and some of the other things. Talk about, you know, next steps or if you guys are another shale place. Yes, sir. So we're currently on 123 active uh, job sites across the United States and Canada. We have 53 job drilling rigs in Permian. Uh, I'd like to say 11 uh, in PA area, the Utica, uh, as well as Canada. So out of North Dakota, I oversee Alaska. That was Jared Whip with Boss Solutions. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Also be one of our 350,000 social media followers. Go to thecrudelife.com. Click on the social media tab. Our pages are right there, including the YouTubes. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we talk with Jared Whip with Boss Solutions. Darren Gallon, Petroleum Consultants. Out of Billings, Montana, and I always like to get an update from the state of where somebody's located or even where they're at at the current time, but uh, you're located in Billings, Montana. Is that correct? That's correct. And what's the activity like in uh, Bill, uh, Billings, Montana, in terms of ec- uh, oil activity? I guess not so much Billings, but maybe Montana itself. Are you guys doing much in the uh, ways of Montana, or are you having to go in the neighboring states of uh, Wyoming and North Dakota? Yeah, we're doing.
doing a little bit in the state of Montana, but, uh, you know, most of the activity is in, in the neighboring states of both Wyoming and North Dakota. Um, you know, the eastern Montana Elm Coulee portion of the Bakken took off first, and then, um, you know, the activity migrated over to the North Dakota side uh, afterward. Are you guys able to talk about any of the locations or any of the rigs and that sort of thing? Yeah, so, you know, we see one company uh, drilling right now, or actually two companies out in eastern Montana, uh, you know, based on the drilling reports we receive. And uh, uh, one company is called Kraken Oil and Gas, and the other one is Denberry. And, uh, you know, Kraken's been active out there in eastern Montana, drilling, drilling some Bakken wells out there. And then uh, Denberry's got their enhanced oil recovery project, um, you know, out there in Cedar Creek Anticline. Um, with that, you know, we still see a lot of potential in eastern Montana. You know, the wells were completed out there in the early 2000s, you know, through 2005, um, you know, and then still today. But the lion's share of the wells out there were completed with what we would call archaic completion technologies for horizontal wells by today's standards. And so, um, you know, our firm, we see a lot of opportunity to go into those existing wells and uh, use today's technology to extract more reserves. In addition to that, the uh, professors at Montana Tech have been working on an enhanced oil recovery project, and so they've been looking at Elm Cooley uh, from an EOR standpoint and, you know, how can we um, inject gas into the formation and recover more reserves that way. You'll have to keep us posted on that uh, science project going on at Montana Tech. It's always good to hear that some people are, you know, drilling in Montana, because you hear so much about North Dakota, and of course Wyoming always has uh, energy going on, for, especially from the natural gas side of things and coal. But um, what, how, um, what kind of activity you guys have in the neighboring states? Are you able to talk about anything that's going on in the uh, Wyoming or North Dakota Bakken? Yeah, we've been active for uh, several clients in both Wyoming and North Dakota, uh, both on the engineering side and on the well site supervision side. Um, we've gotten different projects uh, in-house, and uh, we're actively uh, supervising some hydraulic fracture operations right now as we speak. So, uh, you know, we've been, been active on both the engineering side, helping operators out uh, with some flare capture, flare abatement, how do we reduce flaring. Um, that's one of the big projects that I'm working on right now. And then, uh, you know, we're doing some gathering system design and helping some operators out with that. Uh, on the engineering side, and then and then we've been busy on the uh, completion side of things as well. Um, we made a post recently to get some more resumes in the door, and now we've got a, a pretty good uh, slate of guys that can handle drilling completions and uh, workovers or, or production-type issues. You know, I got so excited about getting an update from Montana, which, you know, there's not a lot of updates from Montana coming these, these last few years, so it's good to hear. I forgot to ask you about... Uh, what it is that your company does. I, I knew that you were doing some of the engineering things, but then you started mentioning uh, supervisor and everything else. So uh, g give yourself a little bit of a plug. And uh, what type of services do you guys do there? Yeah, so Patron Consultants is a full-service engineering and operations firm. We could take a, a project from the permitting phase through the drilling phase, uh, complete the well, uh, you know, monitor the production, and um, be there for the life of the well, all the way through the plugging. So, you know, we like to look at ourselves as kind of a tip-to-tail 
cradle to grave type firm, and you know we can help operators out with any phase of the project along the way. You mentioned gas gathering and some of the work you're doing there. Talk to me a little bit further about that, if you would, please. That's a obviously a very big issue for the Bakken, as well as some of the other shale plays as well, especially down in Texas. But trapping those high, you know, those molecules is easier said than done. The cost doesn't seem to be there. I know some of the research centers, whether it be at um, University of North Dakota Grand Forks, or you mentioned Montana Tech is doing some things. I don't know if they're doing the gas gathering, but it you know it just seems like we're still in that science project phase. How are you guys uh, doing with the gas gathering? Is it becoming economical? Are companies starting to look at it a little bit different? Talk to me further, if you would. Yeah, so you know we think that uh, flare capture and you know, uh, hydrocarbon gas capture can be economic. Um, we're looking at some uh, and actively using some refrigeration uh, technologies right now that uh, cool the heavier components of the natural gas, and then we're able to sell those components. And then uh, working with a couple different companies uh, to either liquefy the remaining natural gas or compress it, and uh, and then use that on drilling rigs or hydraulic fracture sites. Um, we're also talking to different pipeline companies, and if there's you know a, a right-of-way issue or a compressor station a bottleneck, you know can we capture the gas, compress it, or liquefy it, and then re-inject it into the pipeline downstream of the bottleneck? So it's it's an exciting project. It's been very fun. There's a lot of technology. There's a lot of new companies out there, and I, I think it's only going to get better. And I think as an industry, we're going to continue to get better and uh, we'll see less waste of a, of a valuable resource. That's where I think the excitement comes is I think we're just on the beginning of the prepetus pre- of the uh, natural gas wave. I think that there's going to be some major advancements in technology that's going to create a whole new industry within the natural gas industry. And I think it's already started on some level, but I think we're just missing that one that next step, and I don't know if that's a new gathering system or a new way to capture it or, or what that is, but uh, do you know what I mean by that? It just seems like we're we're not quite there, but we're almost there with the with the natural gas to just make it really be robust. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the other challenges we're seeing right now is, is pad drilling, and um, you know pipelines are designed, and it's got a a stationary volume, you know, we can't increase or decrease the size of the pipe once it's in the ground. And, um, you know, as you know, oil wells uh, decline off. And, uh, you know, so we see these uh, pad drilling, pad completions come on with these really big IP rates. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of gas, you know, initially, and uh, and then that volume declines off. And so um, the challenge is designing a system that, you know, is economic and can handle those big volumes up front. And, and how, do we, uh, how do we capture those volumes and then also still design our infrastructure economically? And that was Jared Whip with Boss Solutions. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, YouTubes. All of the social media links are available at thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe. You know that I've lived, yeah, you know that I've tried. I've told the truth, yeah, you know that I've lied. We all do what we do so we can't survive.
Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Darren Gullahan with Petroleum Consultants. The other challenges we're seeing right now is, is pad drilling, and um, you know, pipelines are designed and it's got a, a stationary volume. You know, we can't increase or decrease the size of the pipe once it's in the ground, and um, you know, as you know oil wells uh, decline off and uh, you know so we see these uh, pad drilling pad completions come on with these really big IP rates and uh, you know we've got a lot of gas you know initially and uh, and then that volume declines off and so um, the challenge is designing a system that you know is economic and can handle those big volumes up front and and how do we uh, how do we capture those volumes and then also still design our infrastructure economically. You know, one of the stories that's been going on in the oil and gas industry over the past two years, and it's, I should say, for the last decade, but it's become very apparent over the last couple years, is the um, rise of the of the new worker. You know, the old sling and chains worker just isn't there like it used to be. We're getting a lot more uh, educated workers, whether it be a two-year trade degree or whether it be a four-year degree. And I kind of joked that I've seen such a rise of engineers. And I wondered if it was just because, you know, I the deeper I got into the industry, you know, the engineers were always here, this and that. But then I started realizing the amount of innovation that's going on. And my hunch might be true that we might be seeing more engineers than historically in the past, which really does ripple into new workplace and a new workforce and that sort of thing. I believe that the industry has changed so much to where a lot of people wouldn't even recognize the workforce. If they were Rip Van Winkle and they came out of a 50-year sleep, they'd look at it differently. I don't know that because I wasn't around 50 years ago, but I do think that the workforce has changed quite a bit to where we're a lot more technical and a lot more innovative now. What are your uh, thoughts and what are your opinions on your observations of the workforce in oil and gas over the last, I don't know, decade or so? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Jason. Um, you know, like we've got kids that have never experienced life without the Internet or Facebook. You know, we've got engineers in the industry right now that have never drilled or completed a vertical well. And, um, you know, as funny as that sounds, you know, since the history of the oil field started with vertical wells. And in my career, I was fortunate to catch, you know, some of the last wave of, of vertical wells. But now, you know, the lion's share of wells that are drilled and completed, you know, are horizontal wells in the United States. And since that's the case, 
it takes more engineers to design and execute these projects. Um, the low-hanging fruit, as far as oil reserves are concerned in the U.S., has, has already been harvested. And so now the projects that we work on today are more complex, they're more technical, and it takes more engineering brain power to solve these problems. I never thought of it like that before. And the example I used to always give is the publishing world to where my last couple years, my my, my, I should say my first two years, my first couple years into the publishing world was like the last years of the light boards and where they actually laid out the pages before computers took over. And I was always grateful that I had those couple years of the manualness behind the industry because it allowed me to understand everything going forward. And this interview we're doing right now, if I had to, I can do my own editing, I can do my own writing, I can do my own synthesizing, I can do all of the things that all my employees can do, but they can't do it all like I can. But I relate that to having that kind of that broken down, pull the puzzle apart type of a thing, that knowledge, because I was able to witness it and be a part of it firsthand. With your last couple of years, like you mentioned, do you think that's why you have a, a, a very good understanding of this industry? Yeah, you know, we've I've been fortunate to get a good uh, breadth of experience over my career, and uh, been fortunate to work on several exciting and innovative projects. And um, you know, I love getting down into the details. I love understanding, you know, the fine details of every project. And um, you know, it's it's been an exciting career, and um, that's uh, that's just part of what engineers do. They break down the problem into different parts that can be solved uh, individually to solve the, the greater problem. I know. I used to joke because I used to lay out the magazine back in my magazine days, and to me it was like playing Tetris. Just put the blocks together to make it fit, and, and um, that's about as breaking it down as it can get. So anyway, um, let's uh, let's transition here a little bit. And what, what's going on next for you guys? Are you guys, um, you got some, you guys looking for any business? Do you got enough business to satisfy you for a while? Are you looking at any other uh, new plays, that sort of thing? What's next for you guys? Yeah, so we feel like we've got pretty good coverage in the Rockies as far as uh, getting our name out there and then recognition, especially on the completion side. Uh, we're going to expand, you know, our reach uh, to the drilling side here in the Rockies, but we're looking to grow our company down into Texas and Oklahoma and capture some of the activity in the Permian and then also the stack and scoop plays. And so we've, uh, we're actively recruiting people uh, that can work for us in those areas, and we're also targeting uh, customers in those areas as well. Any final thoughts? Anything we want to reiterate? Anything we forgot to mention or anything uh, that you feel that you should say, I guess, that sort of thing? I'd like to give guests kind of the final thought. That way there's not a narrative by me, I guess. So the uh, floor is yours, sir. Yeah, as you know, it's an exciting time to be in the oil and gas industry right now. And, um, you know, there's a lot of technology, a lot of innovation going on. We're doing more with less today. And, uh, you know, which one consultants is excited to be right in the thick of it. And uh, we feel like we can add value to the bottom line with our experience. Um, we do a very thorough vetting process with any of the people that uh, we bring on underneath our name and to ensure that uh, there aren't any concerns uh, when when an operator hires us to go to work. So um, we want to build a quality brand, and uh, we want to be a brand that, that people can trust and count on. And that was Darren Gullahan with Petroleum Consultants.
To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter, even YouTube. All of our social media links are available at thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Multimedia Cafe. technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. You want someone who's competent. You don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 
Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you folks for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we talk with David Spence with the University of Texas at Austin. David Spence, Professor of Energy Regulation at the University of Texas. Outstanding. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, talking to Mr. Spence about an article that he wrote yesterday or a few days ago or maybe last week, but I read it yesterday, and it had to do with uh, the Texas oil boom, and specifically he was mentioning more of West Texas. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that. I found it a very interesting article. Uh, how are you doing today, by the way? I'm doing fine, and you? Oh, I'm doing okay. I got some road construction going on right in front of my house, so if there's any booming in the background that means it's a heck of a boom but my uh, studio has been shaking a little bit this morning so it's uh like being next to i guess big projects but good news infrastructure is being built so uh talk to me a little bit about the uh, thesis of that article that you had written well it's really about the um uh, the the predictions that are really all over the board about how long the, the latest fracking boom might last uh, as you probably know, the history of this industry is uh, one of booms and busts. And uh, because the uh, resource is so big out there in West Texas, there are a lot of people who are making predictions that the boom, this boom, might last longer than other booms. And you know, the, the thesis of this article is that really it's it's impossible to predict. So there's so many variables at work here that um, you know we really don't know how long it's going to last. It could last a long time. It might not. Um, there's just too much, too many variables at work, and if you know, if, I, if any of us knew how long these things would last, we you know, we we'd be very, very wealthy. <laughs> well, and there's there's so many different factors that you know come into play, whether it's water or price of oil or price of steel, uh, jobs, different things. I mean, it's very difficult. One of the things that came out of the Bakken conference, the Williston Basin Petroleum Conference, I was up there uh, two weeks ago. A lot of the leaders there, they're trying to streamline the industry in terms of turning it more into a le- or less of a boom bust and more of a regular industry. Now, I, I don't know, I guess, what that looks like at the end of the day, but I understand the logic. You know, we know the oil is there. The science is there. Technology is getting greater. The jobs seem to be get- becoming a little bit more white collar and automated than the old days. So finding you know, the uh, old workforce has changed. I, I get where the logic comes from that so many aspects of the industry's changed, but there's still the oil prices and so much unpredictability there. Uh, do you are, are you following me at all to where I guess I can see where they're coming from to make it more of an industry, but there's still that just inherent unpredictability of the nature? Right, and, and all the factors you listed are really sort of uh, production side factors, and, and it's absolutely true that the industry has gotten more efficient, uh, leaner, uh, which is going to enable people to take advantage of more of the opportunities presented by changes in price. But but the demand side or the consumption side of a ledger is you know beyond their control, and so as world oil prices move, you know they're going to essentially take certain plays you know out of out of the market um, or add them into the market depending upon, you know, the, the world price for crude. And so you know, that's just something we can't control here in Texas. And so, um, uh, you know, that, that's what I meant when I said it's difficult to predict. But you're absolutely right. I think the, 
the stuff that we can't control, we've gotten a lot better at. Do you see them trying to go more towards the, um, you know, the call it the nine to five work week as opposed to, you know, the two week hitch, two week off type of a thing? Um, obviously, they're not going to try to, you know, correct all of them, but I do hear the conversations of them trying to be a more, more normal work environment. Are you seeing that at all from, from your side? Yeah, I can't speak to that. You know, as a matter of sort of reporting, I can't really speak to that. You probably have a better sense than I do. What I will say is that, um, you know, when a place like, you know, the major formations in West Texas, when, you know, which are relatively cheap to produce from compared to a lot of other shale formations in the country, when the price goes up, there's, there's going to be a rush to develop resources, and that's why we're seeing and places like Midland, you know, tremendous labor shortages, just like we've seen in booms in the past. Um, there's a bit of a sort of um, commons aspect to this that's always been part of the game, and it's probably always going to be part of the game. Uh, the, you know, we'd like to rationalize and make it a little bit more like, you know, uh, like other industries, but um, the fact is it's a, it's a competitive industry and the, the good times can go away pretty quickly. And so when the good times are here, there's going to be a rush to produce. And that rush to produce a lot of times produces a herd mentality. And with your background in, in policy and in that sort of thing, I would imagine between energy and policy, there's quite a bit of herd mentality that appears in both of those. Are you seeing that happening right now, uh, kind of a herd mentality? And Well, probably down in the Permian, for sure you are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's you never know when you're getting sort of honest information and, and, and when people are, you know, trying to influence public opinion. But generally, there, well, there, there has been sort of a, a rush in one direction, um, and, you know, optimism tends to be get more optimism. Pessimism begets more pessimism, so that's always been the case. I just don't, I don't think that's terribly new. Um, it's it's always been sort of a feature of, of the oil and gas industry. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, we're just kind of wrapping up a little bit. What's fr- from your perspective and what you do at the University of uh, Austin down there, University of Texas Austin? What 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 are you seeing over the next twelve months in the energy industry? I mean, there's a lot of talk about hiring and there's a lot of great oil prices and but there's also bottlenecks and, and everything else going on from from your day-to-day and your perspective what 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 do you see in the energy industry is going to do well there are a couple of other issues that were raised in the piece that i wrote for the hill that you know i think are interesting from my point of view um one has to do with um uh, what the kinds of impacts that come with a boom like this one thing I will say is I think we're getting better. I think towns are getting better and companies are getting better at working with one another to try and address the sort of boom impacts, boom, yeah, boom and bust impacts that come along with uh, this industry. Um, there's a lot of corporate social responsibility kinds of activities going on out um, in the in the shell patch that I think are the product of that back and forth between the towns and, and the companies. And, and, and I think that's an interesting aspect of this. The other aspect, of course, that's been widely reported is the, the bottleneck of uh, transportation infrastructure to get product out of West Texas into the market. Um, that's that's going to you know impinge upon the the ability of producers to capitalize on high oil prices coming out of uh, West Texas. And so, how fast that bottleneck can be remedied will be an interesting aspect of this. 
And that was David Spence with the University of Texas at Austin. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. And that's going to do it for today's program of the Multimedia Cafe. We'll be back tomorrow at this time at this station. If you're listening to us on the radio, thank you very much for tuning in and joining us here at the Multimedia Cafe. If you're streaming us on the Internet, we appreciate it. And, of course, for all of you people that download us on iTunes and our other platforms, we appreciate that very much. There's a lot of places for you to get content in today's world and a lot of content that people are bombarding you with. And we appreciate it very much that you choosing us, you selecting us to be a part of your content selection for the day. Appreciate it, folks. Thank you very much. From the step, oh, we've got to thank our guests. Oh, boy, I don't want to be rude here at the Multimedia Cafe, so slap myself. Darren Gullhan, Petroleum Consultants. David Spence, University of Texas at Austin. And Jared Whip with Boss Solutions. Thank you for joining us today here at the Multimedia Cafe. From the staff at the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice. conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts. And then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio. And if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies.